Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Chris, and we are in the third week of our Either Or Message series, which is a big one. Talking about some really important stuff, because at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' manifesto on what his kingdom will look like and what his followers should be like, Jesus pivots away at the end from teaching ideas and principles to presenting us with this either or choice. And that choice is this. It's a choice between following him or following literally anything else. I mean, look what he says in Matthew 7, 3, 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now, I find a lot of wisdom in classic rock. And, uh, and in their song, Stairway to Heaven, Led Zeppelin said this. They said, there are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. And I think Jesus, like me, must have been a fan of Led Zeppelin because that is actually the invitation that he gave his listeners when he said, enter through the narrow gate and take the narrow road rather than the wide gate and the broad road. One leads to life and the other leads to destruction. So whether you like Stairway to Heaven or not, it does echo a challenging statement that Jesus made. There are two roads and everyone has to pick one of them. Jesus said that the road that leads to life is the narrow road of following him and that the wide road that leads to destruction is anything other than following him. Now that's a tough pill for a lot of people to swallow who have a hard time with an idea that Jesus would say he's the only way to life, which is one of the reasons that Jesus said that only a few people will find the narrow road. The road itself is the path of doing what Jesus taught and the gate that gets there is Jesus-shaped and it requires anyone who goes through it to conform to his image and his shape in their life. That's what he taught. And that can be difficult for people. But that is not the only reason that so few people, according to Jesus, conform to his shape and take the narrow road of life. As he continues teaching, Jesus describes the qualities of some of the people who we find on the wide road. And and in doing so, he helps us understand why it can be complicated to take the narrow path, why so many few people do it. So we're going to take a look at one of those groups of people on the wide path. And to make sense of what we're going to talk about today, uh, I want to break down this whole kind of message into three sections or chapters. I like it personally when movies are broken down into acts uh, with titles that give you the main idea of what each act is about. Like Zack Snyder's Justice League did that and I loved it. So today we have three main acts or chapters, three main ideas that are going to help us understand the narrow path and why Jesus says so few people are going to take it. So our three chapters are deception, practice, and judgment. So first, chapter one, deception. That was cool. I liked that. Okay. One thing that has come up over the last couple years that absolutely astonishes me is the ability of people to be deceived. And we've talked about this a lot, 
you know, especially over the last couple of years, specifically about the willingness of people who identify as Christians to believe in wild conspiracy theories that are questionable at best and demonstrably false at worst. And their willingness to keep believing those things in spite of all of the evidence to the contrary. For example, I watched as some modern day prophets, some in our own community that we live in, prophesied that the outcome to the presidential election of 2020 would go one specific way. When it didn't go that way, they then prophesied that the election would be overturned. And when it wasn't overturned, they then prophesied that what they really meant was that it was gonna happen in 2024. And every time they were proven wrong, many of them just adjusted their prophecies. And people believed it. Even in the face of conflicting evidence, prophets like that are probably why Jesus warned us in Matthew 7, 15, what we talked about last week. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. Deception. But deception is a two-way street. It requires the deceiver and the deceived to both embrace the deception that's being shared. I mean, just last week, Hundreds of people gathered at Dealey Plaza in Dallas because they believed that John F. Kennedy Jr., who died in a plane crash in 1999, was going to appear to them and lead them into a new era of political victory. The man died 22 years ago and still hundreds of people gathered believing that he had faked his death in order to fight a cabal of evil, child-kidnapping, cannibalistic men and women that are hidden throughout the government. One woman at the rally, when she was interviewed, she said this. She said, what we're learning is that JFK, when he was shot here, he was the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he was resurrected four days later, and he's been living in witness protection, as well as his son, JFK Jr., and more than 900 others. And this is the route that he took, Dealey Plaza, but now it's going to be the route that he'll finish. So when JFK Jr. didn't show up because he's dead, people weren't swayed from their belief. Hours after nothing had happened, one man said this to a reporter. He said, not everything can be wrong. I mean, something's going to happen. We're just here on faith believing. Now, my aim is not to make fun of those people or diminish them in any way. Rather, I wanna point out through them that our ability to be deceived, to deceive ourselves and then hold tightly to those deceptions no matter what, is one of those things that keeps people from entering the narrow gate and walking the narrow road of life. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a big deal. Not everyone who calls Jesus Lord will enter his kingdom. There are people in our communities, in our churches, and in our lives who closely identify with Jesus, but will not enter his kingdom. There are people who believe that they are walking the narrow road that leads to life, but they simply aren't. They've been deceived and they continue to believe their deception. 
I mean, this idea that Jesus shares is repeated clearly in other accounts of Jesus's teaching. Look how he says it in Luke 13, verse 24. He says, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter, but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. And you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. And then you're going to say, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. There are people who claim Jesus as Lord, who are actually walking the wide road of destruction. They're trying to enter God's kingdom, but they are so deceived that they are completely missing it. They have proximity to Jesus. They're around him. They listen to his teachings. They're in and around his church. They claim Jesus as Lord. But Jesus is like, I don't know you. We have no relationship. They were deceived into believing that the life they were living was one that led to life in Christ, but it wasn't. And even though it was a life that they included Jesus in, it wasn't the narrow path of life. So our takeaway from chapter one is that there are people who think they are following the way of Jesus, but they are deceived. So, okay, wow, that was, that was heavy. What do we do with that, right? I mean, if we can be deceived in such a way that we can literally live what we think is a Christian life only to have Jesus say, who are you? How are we supposed to know? Well, let's keep going into chapter two, practice. So let's take another look at what Jesus said and then what comes next. So he says this in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. They think he's their Lord, but they're deceived. He continues to say this, only those who actually do the will of my father in heaven will enter. And now we can see it. Jesus isn't just telling us that some people are deceived. He's also telling us what the difference between those who believe the truth and those who are deceived what the difference between them actually is. Now remember, all of these people, deceived or believing the truth, all of them claim Jesus as Lord. But the difference between those who are on the path of life and those who are on the path of destruction is this. The followers of Jesus who enter his kingdom are those who actually do what he says. Now, this seems so obvious, but and it's crazy that it needs to be said. But it does because human beings are great at claiming to believe something and then not doing it. I mean, did you ever know a vegetarian who occasionally eats bacon? Because it's bacon. Why wouldn't you eat it? Or, you know, an environmentalist who drives an SUV? It doesn't mean these people are bad. It just means that they don't really do the things that their ideology claims. And now, I'm not saying that unless you are a perfect Christian and do everything perfectly, you never fail, that Jesus is like, see ya. I mean, that is not it at all. Every follower of Jesus misses the mark and has blind spots that they don't even know are there. I do. 
What Jesus is talking about is people who are so deceived that they claim him as Lord, but they completely miss out on living his priorities. I mean, Jesus' brother James elaborates on this in James chapter 2 in the New Testament. He says this, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, praying for you. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. There were those who thought that claiming Jesus as Lord just meant having a religious belief that didn't touch how they actually lived. And James is like, that's not real faith. That junk is dead. And you people are deceived because God's will is not a doctrine that you believe. It's a lifestyle that you live out. And then James also reminds us of what God's will is the practice of followers of Jesus. It's loving and caring for others. Over the last several weeks, we've talked again and again and again about how Jesus summed up the entire Sermon on the Mount and the entire Jewish law, the Old Testament. The entire will of God is summed up in one command, the golden rule, Matthew 7, 12. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. This is the big difference between those people who claim Jesus as Lord on the narrow path of life and those who claim Jesus as Lord, Jesus as Lord on the wide path of destruction. The ones on the path of life do the golden rule. They do loving their neighbor. It's not just about what they think or believe or the doctrines or the dogmas, but it's about how you actually live. And that's why our chapter two takeaway is this. The true Jesus way will always put tangibly loving others first. The practice Jesus is calling to is to actually do what he says in the Sermon on the Mount, which is summarized in the golden rule. And anything else isn't following Jesus. That's why Jesus says this in Luke 6, 46. He says, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Knowing we are on the path of life is as simple as just doing what Jesus said. We just have to bridge the gap between calling Jesus Lord and following Jesus as Lord. Which brings us finally to chapter 3, Judgment. Jesus says this, again in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And they'll say, we prophesied in your name. And we cast out demons in your name. And we performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Now here, Jesus pulls out the big gun, right? Judgment day. 
That's a scary phrase. And it has a lot of connotations that go beyond like Terminator 2. Especially when Jesus repeats the statement, I don't know you, to those who again call him Lord, but apparently didn't do what he said. But look at the people that he rejected and look at the things they did, right? This is crazy. They call him Lord. They prophesied in his name. They cast out demons in his name. They performed miracles, many miracles, in his name. I don't think it would be outside of conventional wisdom to say that if someone prophesied correctly, did miracles and healed people, and cast out demons all in the name of Jesus, I don't think it's outside of conventional wisdom to say that person would appear to be a pretty great Christian. But Jesus is like, nope, not impressed. Isn't that amazing? Think about this. We, we tend to ascribe spiritual greatness to people based on dynamic ministry qualities, right? If someone's a good speaker, if they're good on stage, they're talented, charismatic, or if they're saying and doing big, loud, public things in Jesus's name, they must be legit spiritual. But church platform giftings don't mean anything to Jesus. He wants something of us that literally anyone can do, and that's to tangibly love others. Paul puts it this way. I love this. 1 Corinthians 13, 2. He's like, if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, and I possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could do mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. And that is exactly what Jesus is saying. Last week, we talked about how this is the fruit Jesus wants us to have in our lives, the fruit of of love, the fruit of tangibly loving others. And it's by this fruit that we know if we are on the path of life or if we're on the path of destruction. It allows us to diagnose that. Following Jesus, conforming to his shape, and doing what he taught will always, always lead to the fruit of love. And this is so important for us to grasp if we're going to make sense of this judgment that Jesus is talking about. Because we think of judgment as having all that we've ever done and said, criticized and picked apart and then judged as good or bad. But that's not really it. Jesus's judgment is not about picking apart what we've done as much as it is about determining what we are. And that's our chapter three takeaway. The fruit of our lives will show whether we took the narrow or the wide path. See, Jesus isn't saying you didn't do good enough. He's saying, you aren't an apple tree because you didn't grow apples. This is about Jesus evaluating our fruit to judge if we are his followers or not, because our fruit doesn't lie. And we may be able to deceive ourselves and others, but our fruit always tells the truth about our lives and whether we followed Jesus's way or not. And at the end of all of this, we're gonna find that there were people who claimed Jesus as Lord, who did big things in his name, who looked and sounded like we think that great Christians should look and sound, who weren't walking Jesus's path of life. People who, when their fruit is evaluated, will be judged not to have been his followers. And the tragedy is that many of them, and maybe many of us, will be surprised by that. And that's why it's so important that we understand our capacity to be deceived, 
that we, we know what really matters to him and not just call him Lord, but that we do what he taught and that we live it out, that we do to others what we want done to us. So what can we do today to evaluate ourselves and make sure that we're not one of those people who are deceived about our own spiritual condition? Well, very practically, I would encourage you to do two things, really simple. Read the Sermon on the Mount and then do it. Go back this week, read the Sermon on the Mount, read Matthew five through seven. If you can read those two chapters every day this week, do it. Because that, what's described there is the life he's calling us to live. Those are the qualities of his kingdom that he desires his followers to have. They are the actions and attitudes that he desires us to have. So this week, read the Sermon on the, read the, sermon on the Mount and make an effort to just do that. Followers of Jesus conform to his shape and do what he taught. So as we live like he lived, as we think like he thought and do what he taught, we can have confidence in who we are and in whose we are. That on the day that he evaluates the fruit of our lives, that we can know that he's gonna say, oh, I know this one, they're mine. I can tell by their fruit. Let's be people who are living out the gospel the way Jesus intended for us to. Let's be people who are living out love the way Jesus intended us to. Let's be people who are not blown about and swayed by every trend that that runs itself through spirituality or through our culture or through our church. And instead, let's lean into the teachings of Jesus, internalizing them and doing them. And as we do, may God transform our lives, may he transform our church, may he transform our communities. Thanks for joining me, and I will see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.